In Mark's gospel, the public ministry of Jesus begins right after John the Baptist has really completed his ministry to prepare the way for Jesus and has now been imprisoned. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we read where, where Jesus goes to the north of Jerusalem into the, the Sea of Galilee area. And he says, the time has come. Or as the common English Bible translates, now is the time. And his message is quite simple. I, I wish I could get away from week to week with such a simple sermon outline. Jesus simply says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Even though his message was somewhat short and even in a sense quite simple, it is a very profound message. And from this message, Jesus in and around the Sea of Galilee, begins to proclaim the gospel, the good news of God. There are three important words in this simple message that Jesus began to preach. The first word, of course, is the word gospel itself. The NIV and other more modern translations simply say good news. And it occurs twice in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. And from these two occurrences, we learn two things about this good news. First of all, it is from God. Its source is God. And because it comes from God, it is to be secondly believed. It is something to weigh. It is something to consider. It is something to become convinced of. And so because it is from God, and because it is something that should be believed, not only is it good news, but it's also important news. It is also urgent news. When we hear it, we must reflect upon it and be challenged by it and make some kind of a response. The second key word is the word kingdom. Kingdom occurs quite often in the public ministry of Jesus. The word that's translated kingdom in our English New Testament is an abstract noun which means reign or rule. And so sometimes we hear Jesus use the phrase kingdom of God. Sometimes we hear Jesus use the phrase kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he simply just says kingdom. But it too, just like the gospel, is of God. It is from God. God is the source of the kingdom. And so when we think about kingdom, we're thinking about the sovereignty of God. We're thinking about God's rule, God's reign in His creation and in the Lord's church. The third key word in this very simple but profound message of Jesus is the little phrase, come near. It is a difficult word to translate into English. This little word has both spatial and temporal nuances or meanings. It can mean come near in the sense of, of proximity. 
such as I am near spatially with Greg, or it can be used in reference to time, something that is about to happen or has already begun to happen. And so there is some intentional ambiguity in this uh, little word that can be translated as come near or at hand is what some of the other translations say. At, at this time in this new series of lessons, and we'll have some more to say about that in, in just a moment, it is not my purpose to, to develop a, a full theology, if you will, of the kingdom. I mean, that would take weeks to develop and discuss. But just from what we read here as Jesus begins his public ministry, I want to suggest four uh, kingdom points. I've got to turn that on. There we go. Four things that we do learn about the kingdom for our purposes in this series. First of all, the kingdom is near because the king is here. God in his sovereignty in identifying Jesus as his son, the promised Messiah. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, when he ascended to the Father, Jesus was declared king of kings. And so now that, king, that Jesus has infiltrated the world, he has become one of us, the king is here. And so already in the presence of the king, we see God's rule, God's reign. Secondly... The consummated kingdom is future, but the experiential kingdom is now. When we think of the kingdom ultimately, we think of our eternal home in heaven. But if the king is here, and if now as representatives of the king, as citizens in his kingdom, we can begin to experience a little bit of heaven now. And that's what I believe our, uh, that portion of our vision statement to restore all things means. And we'll get back to that in, in just a moment. But number three, the kingdom is not static. It's, it's not fixed, immobile, immobile, immovable, passive, or stagnant. But it is dynamic. It is alive. It's effective, energetic, influential, potent, and powerful. It has uh, the ability to infiltrate human history and overcome all of us as God dwells among us through uh, His Spirit. And then finally, as Jesus sought to teach His closest disciples, the kingdom is not just a message, but it's a mission. Yes, His sermon outline was somewhat short and pretty simple. But especially in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is busy serving people. He's busy interacting with people. And so his message becomes a mission. And again, as citizens of this kingdom, because of our allegiance to the king, his mission becomes our mission. Stephen mentioned as we began this morning with his call to worship, Several years ago, this congregation spent quite a bit of time in study, in reflection, in prayer to develop a vision statement. And you can see that vision to your left in our uh, banners here. 
And it consists of three points. The first has to do with connecting with God. We will continually seek a deeper connection with God through sincere worship and spiritual disciplines. We will reach out and make disciples who do the same. The second point of our vision, the unity of believers, the complete unity of all believers will be increasingly evident through how we love, show grace toward, and partner with all who claim Jesus as Lord. And then the third point of our vision statement... Oh, I got ahead of myself. There we go. Restore all things. Responding to God's plan to restore all things to Him, we will purposely bring Christ's love and hope to our community and to the ends of the earth. And again, in in my understanding of this point of our vision statement, to, to restore all things is to help people the lonely, those who are without hope, those who are the marginalized of our community, uh, those who do not have the same opportunities to know God or to respond to the good news uh, of Jesus uh, as we have, to be able to help them experience a little bit of heaven on earth now. And so we have two aspects of this particular vision uh, point. We seek to restore all things. We seek to serve people uh, in our immediate community. And we'll have some more to say about that as this month progresses. But another part of restoring all things is we also seek to take the love of Christ, to take a little bit of heaven uh, to other parts of the world. And recently, we have had a group who have done just that by going to Haiti. As I recall and as I look back over some of the notes uh, from the development of this vision and uh, looked as teams were uh, brought together and as plans were made, when I I reflected and and went back and reviewed some of the information about taking uh, the gospel to Haiti, that there was a goal of taking 20 people from this church. And this past January, we didn't quite reach that goal. We took 15, though. And uh, a number of our people, upon returning from that trip, were able to share their experiences with the elders and, and staff. And so this morning... Uh, we want to announce that the decision has been made to become even more involved in Live Beyond, uh, the uh, mission point in Haiti. And our purpose this morning is is to create some excitement, to communicate about what's going on uh, down there. And we thought this would be uh, an opportunity to share with the the largest group of, of people And so I'm going to ask uh, four of the the individuals who made that trip to to come to the stage, and we're just going to hear a little bit about uh, this trip. So if Greg and Kristen Mays and Chancey Stevens and Clay Frittle would take their seat here upon the stage. Now I can do this. 
I am going uh, to ask them some questions uh, for them uh, to share. And this first slide is a picture of our team, and uh, I'm going to advance that slide. And as we uh, share in this discussion together, uh, the pictures will rotate or scroll through uh, on its own. Clay, I think you're the youngest one up here. And so we're going to pick on you, and I'm going to ask you uh, the first question. Uh, Clay, you, you're in the medical profession. And so would you share with us how medical treatment in Haiti is different from medical treatment here? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think the, the first thing really is access to medical care okay. here versus in Haiti. Um, you know, here, I mean, we, we just recently put in three or four new urgent cares in Paris, Texas. I mean, there's, there's access on, on every corner. Not only that, but you can go to CVS and you can get Tylenol for a headache. You can get Pepto-Bismol for an upset stomach. So access is, is much easier here. Um, and kind of speaking of, you know, those over-the-counter medications, too, um, I think another big difference in Haiti is education and understanding of, of you know, healthcare and medications. Um, you know, one of the things while we were there when we were treating, you know, even chronic conditions, we can only give seven pills at a time, a week's worth of medication because the understanding isn't there of, you know, you need to take this every day, you, you don't take these all at once, this isn't going to, you know, erase your hypertension, you know, you need to come in every week so that we can kind of educate and follow up. Um, so I think that's a, that, those are two, you know, big differences there. And then, and then there's the obvious. Um, you know, you see things in Haiti that you rarely will see here. Um, we had a scabies clinic, um, which you will see in America, um, but the prevalence there is, is you know, really astounding. Um, that's why we had a, you know, a room set up just for that because, you know, I think one day, I think the first day I saw around 25 or 30 patients and almost half of them had scabies. Um, and then there's, you know, malnourishment, which again, you will see in rare cases here, um, you know, but the percentage there, you know, what we were doing was if a patient came in and they had a BMI, body mass index, of less than 18, we would give them food to take home. And I think it was probably somewhere around a quarter of our patients that were sending home with food, and that is down over the last several years, um, you know, talking to, to Clint and Jared, you know, they used to be sending people home, more people home with food. Um, and so those are really the two biggest things that, that were different in what you're seeing in the clinic. Um, but then, you know, the other thing that really struck me was what people don't complain of. So, I had a couple patients who, who came in. Um, one gentleman, uh, he was, I think, in his 70s, 
and uh, he came in to see me for just kind of a vague general uh, you know headache and he, he did turn out to have some high blood pressure but I noticed as he's walking through the door that he has a very large hernia um, and he never even mentioned it you know uh, I just happened to see it and of course I can't really do much for it because you know that's uh, you know another difference going back to access is you know that's a surgery and you know surgery is is not readily available um, but you know he didn't he'd had it for years and he, he didn't even really think to mention it you know in, in the moment there was a 13 year old boy who had a cataract from an injury to his eye didn't mention it just kind of happened to see it on on exam and you know I, I think of these kinds of things or why people go to the doctor here um, and the, they're just it's just normal it's oh I've dealt with that forever you know I'd rather deal with my my headache and kind of what's bothering me right now because I'm so used to this chronic pain or this chronic condition that I've been dealing with um, due to lack of, of health care and lack of understanding Great, thank you. <clears throat> Kristen, when, when the group shared with the elders a few weeks ago, one of the statements that you made that I thought was significant was, everything you did mattered. Would you elaborate on that a little bit for the group? Okay, so um, uh, the staff did a really great job of offering um, us on a daily basis um, ways that we could serve, which they do when the teams are not there, but when the teams are there, um, we got to sign up on a daily basis um, ways that we could go out into the community and serve. So, um, for example, one of those ways was a, um, a maternal health visit, and we could go out with the um, Claire, the nurse that's on staff there, and we would visit um, in the homes in the village of Thomasu, um, uh, some newborn babies and their mothers. And if we were fortunate enough, their fathers were also there. And we would weigh the babies. We would um, see if they were growing healthily. We would talk to the mothers. We would see if everything was going well in that regard. They would give them supplies. Um, so you could see uh, a difference between seeing you know, the, the family in the clinic as opposed to in their actual place that they lived on a day-to-day -day basis where the baby was sleeping. Um, it could be a wash tub with some towels, you know, in it, which was great. The babies were hanging out. They loved it. Um, it could be a mat in the corner. Some of them had an actual um, little, look like a sling that you might buy here in the United States if they were fortunate enough to have that. But whatever it was, um, you could see where the babies were spending their days on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, another way that we were able to serve was uh, called rice and beans. And it was actually where you would load up in the back of a pickup with these enormous um, vats of rice and beans and these tin plates and ladles. And we would go out into the villages up into the mountains. And um, the driver would honk their horn. And people would just start coming out of the cactus, the brush. You didn't even know that there were houses there, but they would start coming out. And um, you would just ladle up rice and beans. And you made sure that you scraped every last grain of rice out of that bowl because 
you knew that that might be the only meal that those children had that day or from the day before. Um, another way that we were able to um, serve was we could go into the school, which was just wonderful there on the, on the campus of Live Beyond, and we worked with the professors, the teachers there in the school, and we were able to um, sit with them and uh, teach them English, some phrases that they could actually use in the classroom because obviously um, the more they know English, they have a leg up. You know, they, they have a tremendous advantage to um, just being able to speak the Creole language, the uh, language there. Um, there was an agricultural um, opportunity. Um, you can kind of see the pictures. The natural resources have really been stripped uh, from natural disaster as opposed to all kinds of different things. There's not very many natural resources left there in Haiti. But the staff there um, are teaching the people how to plant, replant, and grow their own beans and, and corn and bananas and things like that um, to teach them how to be self-sustaining. So um, I just felt like that every single thing that we were given the opportunity to do really mattered to that particular person on that particular day. So even though the, the trip was somewhat billed as a medical mission, there is so much more to do than just medicine oh, or absolutely. dentistry or whatever. Absolutely, right? Right? yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Ch Chancey, when, when you shared um, a few weeks ago with the elders and staff, one of the things that, that struck all of us was you mentioned this was the first time for you to ever go out of the country and go on a mission trip. Would you share a little bit what you experienced doing that? A um, couple of firsts there. A lot of firsts there. I think you're on. Okay. Um, a lot of firsts. I am. Why don't y'all switch mics? Switch mics. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, there were a lot of firsts for me. Um, I'm born and raised Lamar County. I mean. Never been outside of here. I married young. A, a Parisian, by a, the way, not, not a parasite right. like me. <laughs> um, and, you know, I married young. I had children young, and I've always worked. And I've always wanted to go on a mission trip. So, luckily, my husband was gracious enough to hold down the fort and let me go. And, um, you know, I've never seen suffering like that before. And, I mean, you think that you've seen it before, but you really have not. Um, I've never seen children fight over a bowl. I've never seen children do the work of grown men. And we saw a lot of that there. Um, but also just, you know, coming to church with them and getting to worship with them, extreme joy. I mean, their life is filled with not a lot of joy. But when they get there, they are singing as loud as they can, and they can feel it, and you can see it, and you can feel it too. And it's just contagious, and I hope that we brought some of that back here. And um, it was just—it was really awesome to experience. Um, I'm a worker bee. Um, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not a great teacher. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm more of a working with my hands type person. So, knowing that I always wanted to do a mission trip of some kind, I knew it had to be something where we weren't just painting a church and dropping off Bibles. Um, this was a mission I felt like was built for me because, you know, I got to work with my hands. I got to help Clint doing 
what he does every day and doing what I used to do every day and using a skill that God has blessed me with to take care of my family, I was able to use that to help other people. And like they said, it doesn't have to be medical. I mean, they need everyone. They need electricians. They need fence builders. They need somebody that can just put a brick together. They need somebody that can rub somebody down with scabies. I mean, there's something for everyone. So anyone that thinks that you could never do this, you could never go there, you can. And they can use you for whatever it is that you think that you can help them with. And if you don't know what you can help them with, they will give you something to do. <laughs> There's plenty of work to be done. Um, one question that I have been asked a lot was, was I ever afraid? Um, mine and Clint's van got a flat. Um, so when we're driving from the airport, you're going down a road that's trying to jerk your whole body apart. Um, <laughs> and it jerked our van apart. We got a flat and we're out there in the dark there are people all around you and you can't see them because there's no flashlights, there's no lights, there's nothing. All the vans in front of us just went away and we're back there like, hey, don't forget that we're still here. Uh, so then uh, David uh, Vanderpool brought a, a van back and he had a secured guard with him and we got in the van and they whisked us away and they stayed there and got our stuff to the camp. and. I was more afraid to come sit up here than I was in that moment. So <laughs> um, I was never afraid. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was never afraid. And I mean, God just blessed us through our fear. And, you know, like I said, speaking from somebody who's never been anywhere, I was never afraid. And I, I felt blessed. And I felt like I helped, like I did something to help someone while we were there. So. Thank you. Uh, Greg, I mentioned a moment ago that when I first heard of this trip, it was, was somewhat billed as a medical mission trip, and then I find out you're going, and I'm thinking, why in the world is Greg going? <laughs> you're not in the medical profession, and I didn't think you would be able to pack one of your fishing rods uh, just to go on a vacation. So what exactly did you do down there? Well, before we even left, I knew, I knew a little bit of information about what was going to be going on down there. I knew about the dental clinic. I knew about the maternal clinic. I knew about the, uh, the medical clinic and the education side. So I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm able to place what everybody is going to be doing really except me. And so I said, Kristen, uh, what am I going to be doing? She says, I have no idea what you're going to be doing. <laughs> so uh, we got down there, and um, it, was, it was an opportunity to serve, period. And uh, there were probably more opportunities that were non-medical and non-dental than there were of that kind. And um, Chancey's right. Um, one of the things that really struck me is that I thought that I knew what poor was. I don't, I didn't. I do now. Um, I would say the poorest in this country represent the top 2% of what's in Haiti. So, um, and to me, that somebody like me, who isn't 
a techie person or an education person um, can go on a mission like we're supporting and, and do good, that ought to encourage everybody else. Um, to me, this, this kind of mission, it, it's not like a mission that you think about years ago. Um, years ago, you would find or somebody would request help and you would um, choose them to go somewhere and you might hear from them once a year. They might come back and give a report, but it was really, you couldn't identify with what they were doing, really. You appreciated the report, but you really didn't have any skin in the game. This mission that, that, that we were fortunate enough to be a part of, as I'm witness, anybody can do it. Um, if Chansey felt safe, I think everybody would feel safe. Um, there are things to do besides medical and dental where you can just literally serve people. One of my favorite, um, favorite's probably not the right word, but the one that, that meant the most to me was when I did serve in the scabies clinic. Um, so many of the young people have so much contact without shoes in the dirt all the time. That's how they come in contact with scabies. Kristen was unfortunate or fortunate enough to see one actively burrowing. These are little critters that get under your skin and lay eggs. And it is, you, the itching is incredible. And um, so I was in the scabies clinic one day. Well, um, most of the people that I was seeing were probably four or five years old or less. And um, they were just covered, literally covered. And you would have to wash just so that you could see because it left a very distinctive pattern on the skin. And um, I kind of looked up and next in my chair was um, a lady who was probably in her late 60s, early 70s. And um, a lot of them, the adults will wear shoes, but they're open sandals. And um, so I had a, I got my wipes and I started going. I said, I can't see anything. So um, I was trying to communicate with her and she was giving me the itching motion. And so I said, okay, we've got scabies here. Let's, let's see what we can see. So I used a half a box of wipes, uh, got her feet cleaned up, her legs cleaned up, her arms cleaned up. And... Uh, I looked and looked and looked. I didn't see anything. And so I, I took some ointment. It was, I think, K&D, maybe like lanolin, and um, A&D ointment. And so I, I kind of, after her feet were clean, I kind of rubbed that into her feet because the feet over there are in horrible shape. And so um, I said, okay, are we good? And she kind of pointed to her legs and knees. So I said, okay. So we cleaned those. She was starting to glisten like the sun. She was very slick. So I said, okay. She goes, oh. I think she had the longest seat in the treatment. But um, 
she just, she just loved it. It was a spa treatment, I think. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, what I did did not involve technical knowledge, and anybody can do it. And the good thing about it is, is that anybody that wants to be a part of it can. I want to ask each of you one final question in two sentences or less. What, what difference had, did that trip make in your life? I mean, how, how are you different now that you have experienced this? And, and we'll go in the same order. Clay, I'll, we'll let you start. So I think the, the biggest thing for me was was realizing just just how little we really need, um, mm. you know, how we can get by with so much less than what we have here. Um, because, you know, like Chancey said, there's um, there's not a lot of joy in everyday life, but at church in Haiti, it's it's nothing but joy. It's wow. it's it's all it's all you see, and you know, realize. You know what really brings you joy, and and you know that's what that's what we need to focus on. We don't need you know the big house and the the, the nice car, and and those things are great. They're they're real blessings, but but you know what do you really need, and what really makes you happy, and and you know I think that should be your relationship with God and, and His people. Okay, thank you, Kristen. Um, I think I have a. Um, a knowledge of what um, true darkness is that I did not have before. Um, the people there are facing on a daily basis um, voodoo culture, and that's the prominent uh, religion of Haiti. And um, it's very real, and you see it everywhere you go. Um, and the, and the presence of evil is very real and very present. Um, and I don't think I, I had experienced anything like that before. But within the compound of Live Beyond, the presence of God was so apparent and very, very real. And it, the contrast between um, the two cultures was just, it was literally like night and day. And um, being able to put yourself, um, you know, as scripture says, literally in between evil and a person um, is a daily, a daily uh, battle there. And it's a daily thing. And um, I, have a real, I have a real awareness of that now that I never had before. Um, I realize that I have nothing to complain about. I have a wonderful home. I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful church family. Um, we live 15 miles outside of town, and it's a struggle sometimes to get back and forth to work in town and all that. But um, the first day we were there, we went to visit a, a lady who lives, I don't know how far, but she has to walk two miles, I mean, two hours to get to church, to get to work every day, and then she has to walk back. And it's uphill on nothing but what's like gravel. 
I mean, we were slipping and falling trying to get to her house, and she does it every day with flip-flops on. Um, did it pregnant, carrying 10-pound jugs of water on her head. Um, I just realized, you know, how blessed we are and how blessed we are to be able to bless other people, and I feel like we should do a lot more of that. Keith, where's Keith? You'll appreciate this. I, I spent the first day or two figuring out how to fix this. Um, it started the first morning when I was drinking my coffee up on top of the compound, and um, I was looking at a beautiful lake. I imagined that there were large bass in there. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, it's about daybreak, so I'm gonna watch those boats coming out. And I waited. And I waited. <laughs> no, there were no boats. Um, just to put it, I guess, uh, shortly and succinctly, um, the, the earthquake that they had was allowing salt water to flow into the lake. So there was nothing alive in the lake. Um, the hurricanes washed all the topsoil away. Um, the political climate is worse than Mexico. Um, re resources, natural resources, there are none. Um, voodoo culture is rampant. Um, you have teachers that are teaching in schools there that the only qualification to teach the seventh grade is they make it through the sixth grade. And, and in that whole area, you have a group of people who are, in other words, Keith, you can't fix this. You can't fix it. Um, and you don't need to waste your time trying to fix it. The question is, is what are we going to do? And the way Live Beyond has chosen to do it is to work with mothers, children, people, doing exactly what it talks about in Luke 4. Oppressed, hungry, sick. And hopefully there'll be a, a generation that comes up that loves God yeah. and they'll be in control. Amen. Thank you. You may resume your seats. Just in case uh, you were not able to recognize completely who all was on that team, if, if the rest of the team would stand up, please, all of you stand up. Come on, Joanne, stand up. Uh, thank you. And they also have stories to tell. And so if you get an opportunity uh, visit with, with the others, and, and they too will excite you about uh, this opportunity. And uh, this past, I guess it was Thursday morning, when we uh, found out that Sister Ruth Ann was in the hospital, Jared and I went up to visit, and uh, all four of the Stallings' daughters were in uh, to visit, including uh, Laurie Vanderpool. And of course, Laurie and, and her husband David uh, are the ones who began uh, this particular ministry uh, in, in Haiti. 
And uh, Jared commented uh, to Laurie what we were going to be doing uh, this morning, and I just overheard Laurie just go on and on expressing her appreciation uh, for this uh, team from Lamar Avenue that came down and had such a, a tremendous uh, impact. Clint, I'm convinced that we're going to reach our goal of more than 20 uh, next time we get a group together. So again, uh, thank you. Very quickly, I want to uh, conclude this morning with uh, four uh, application points. And I hope you noticed in your bulletin uh, last week that beginning this morning, um, I have begun to talk about this aspect of our vision, restoring all themes, and what it, what it means uh, to bring heaven uh, to earth. And we will continue to work our way through the Gospel of Mark uh, this month and share some stories from the life of Jesus to help us uh, better understand that. But, but four application points this morning. Number one, we must not only prepare for heaven, but begin already to participate in it now. And so to restore all things is to bring a taste of heaven to earth, which means, number three, we must not only support missionaries, we must also serve as missionaries from Paris, Texas to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, from Lamar County to Live Beyond, from Kitty College to Paris Junior College, from latchkey kids to foster kids, from feeding the hungry to comforting the grieving, from the greatest generation to the silent generation to baby boomers to busters to millennials and to Generation Z, from proclamation of the gospel to demonstration of that good news, from isolation to infiltration in our community. And finally, we have to understand we cannot do those things we cannot have an impact upon anyone unless we're willing to make contact. And that means rolling up our sleeves. It means scrubbing scabies. It means getting out of our comfort zone just a little bit to serve, to care for, to encourage, to share what we have experienced through the good news of Jesus with those in our community and beyond who desperately need Christ in their lives. And it means reaching the marginalized, those that we typically don't associate with, those that make us uncomfortable, those that are different from us, those that we may be a little afraid of, maybe even a little ashamed to be around. And yet, that's the mission that goes with the message. Now is the time. Let's stand and sing.